This episode is sponsored by Enriched Superfoods. Enriched is my go-to store for the most powerful, most pure superfoods on the plain et. They've got all the good stuff from maca to matcha, from shilajit to powdered greens. But you know what I love the most? I love the mushrooms. Now I know what most of you are thinking, get on with the show, right? But I know what else you're thinking. You're thinking, how can I get better at strangling people? Us jiu-jitsu guys, we're all the same. We want to be better, we want to be badder. Well, being better requires two things, learning more stuff and being able to execute more stuff. And Enriched has got you covered with what I'm calling the white basement jiu-jitsu super stack. First is lion's mane mushroom to supercharge memory, focus and clarity and even better, give a neurotrophic boost literally helping you grow new jiu-jitsu brain cells. Now, a jiu-jitsu super brain is all well and good, but if you can't execute on the mat, then it don't mean jack. That's why the second half of the super stack is the legendary Cordyceps CS4 mushroom extract, scientifically proven to offer heroic levels of stamina and energy, as well as improved lung function, actually helping you breathe better while you stop other people from breathing at all. Go to enriched.co, that's E-N-R-I-C-H-D.co, and use the promo code WhiteBasementPod for a 10% discount across the whole site. Want to get more taps in more rounds and more respect from more people? Then get super stacked. Go to enriched.co and use the promo code WhiteBasementPod. Nick was going to give me my third degree the day Nick went to hospital. You know, unfortunately, Nick couldn't give me my third degree. So I wanted to get from to be presented with it. I mean, I could have Nick had done the certificate and it was all there for me. I could have just put the, the thing on myself and it would have been fine. But um, I wanted to have someone who meant a lot to me to be able to present to me with the third degree. Now, um, Joan was a th- is a third degree himself. Um, Robin takes a very long time giving his belts out, uh, and uh, Joao is the third degree himself. Uh, so I approached Joao and I said, "Do you mind if I come to Portugal and you can present me my third degree? Because it would mean a lot to me to come from my first instructor." And uh, he said, "You know, I'm not sure if I can, but I will talk to Harbin and I'll find out." Um, he spoke to Harbin, and Harbin said, "I know Nick. Uh, he knew Nick, and he he's like, I I don't." You know, he doesn't doesn't know me personally, but he knows that if he was in my position, he would want the same thing. So, um, so he said, "You absolutely can do that." So, uh, so I went over there, and it was a, a lovely moment where we we spoke about Nick, and we we had a nice chat, and we we spoke, and we had um, we had a meal and stuff, and and during one of the classes, presented with my third degree, and and that meant a lot to me to do things that way. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the White Basement Podcast. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at White Basement Pod. Uh, follow the podcast on YouTube, Spotify, everywhere where you get your podcasts. Uh, today I'm joined by Chris Hearn, who um, I, I think I'm, I can say is a, a BJJ OG. <laughs> um, been training for a long time. 
How many stripes you got on your black belt, Chris? Uh, third degree black belt. Third degree black belt. Um, so I'm, I'm really, uh, I'm really happy to have you in the studio because, as we were just talking about uh, briefly before we started recording, my my UK BJJ scene knowledge and history is poor. <laughs> I'm, I'm a no stripe white belt in my in my history. So uh, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, hey, thanks for having. Um, so, so yeah, maybe maybe if we can start off just. Just if you can kind of run me through your your martial arts journey, how you got into into BJJ and, where and, I am. and why you're still doing it 23 years later. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a good question. Um, so I started, well, for martial arts, I started, um, I started karate when I was a kid. I was probably maybe eight, eight or nine, maybe. Um, we... Just, just in a, a like a, a church hall in Mill Hill because I've always lived in Mill Hill a, apart from the last three years. But I generally uh, grew up in Mill Hill. Um, so we, uh, yeah. So I had like a we had like a sensei there and this that and the other. We did Shotokan karate when we were kids. Um, I sort of worked my way through the belts. Um, got to um, brown belt. Um, I don't know if they call it like one tab or something. I was uh, very close to getting my black belt uh, uh, as a kid's grade, um, but I sort of that. But at that point, I kind of lost interest, and I didn't really even complete complete then. Uh, I spent a lot of time just um, not really not really doing any sort of martial arts, but there was always a peaked interest in it. And there's an interest in Japan and ancient Japan, and 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 uh, looked always looked up books and different things and stuff. Uh, when I was in uh, in high school, um, just after GCSEs in sixth form, we had to go and do um, a work experience placement as part of our course. And we were doing, I think I was doing business admin because um, that's what they tell you to do at school. They don't tell you, go be an apprentice. Well, at least in those days, they don't say, go and be an apprentice. If you were an apprentice, you're a failure, which is ridiculous because now I look at apprentices and go, my God, you are, you're like, you're doing the right thing. <laughs> like yeah. definitely. Um, so, uh, we went to do, I went to do a, um, a, uh, work experience placement at a, uh, office, which was underneath, um, it was actually in a place called indoors lane in Mill Hill, which is, um, it's right at the end of, of Mill Hill Broadway, which is underneath a, a sea cadet hall. Um, so I went there um, and there was a, a letter come through for a jiu-jitsu academy. And I sort of knew jiu-jitsu jiu because I read about it. But I didn't know about Brazilian jiu-jitsu or anything like that. I just knew about Japanese jiu-jitsu. Anyway, I saw this and I was like, oh, wicked. I didn't know about this place. I want to give it a go. So you try and find out. But in those days, it wasn't like you can go on Google and search a jiu-jitsu club and it'll come up. Oh, right, cool. Yeah, it's just there. Um, so you had to do, do a little bit. I don't, I, I don't know how we found the, the number, but we found the number, um, called them up. And they said, yeah, come down. So it was uh, Barry and Nick were teaching there. At the time, it was a Japanese jiu-jitsu club. Um, and so I walked in the door. And see, I was saying this on with with Dan when I was speaking to Dan about um, all my my early memories of Nick, and um, I was convinced I was fifteen when I walked in there. Um, I may have just been like just about to turn sixteen, um, but I, I worked it out, and I was like, like the maths doesn't work out, so I don't know. But um, we, I, I went in there. And I remember them saying like, "Oh, you're a little bit young for the class, but don't worry." 
you know, we've seen how you are and your attitude, um, you can stay and train. So, um, so I trained with those, I joined those guys, I trained with those guys and we did Japanese jiu-jitsu. I did that for about, we did Japanese jiu-jitsu for about two years and then um, we would do a little bit of ground fighting and grappling and I, I was really interested in that side of things but didn't really know anything about it. Um, Nick would always grab me and take me to one side and we would train together. Uh, in those days, you, if you believe it or not, uh, Nick would only ever train no gi. He never trained in a gi. <laughs> so if anyone who knows Nick, yeah, who I, knew I, Nick, at least in the later days, you wouldn't believe that. Yeah, I won't, I won't say what he used to call it by the time <laughs> yeah, I was there. But like, yeah, he um, he only trained no gi because he, what he had learned, he learned, he would, would did a lot of sambo with guys in Cambridge. Um, so we, we were training a lot of no gi, a lot of leg locks, this sort of stuff. Um, and then we met, uh, our instructor, uh, through, through Japanese, we, we met an instructor, our instructor, uh, João Santos, uh, he has a, a club in Portugal called Gracie Lisboa. Um, he, he came, he had moved to, to England for, uh, he, he he was going to settle, but he he couldn't. He had to go back, so um, he had uh, he was here for a little while, and we trained with him. And it, this is where we started to put on the gi. When he moved back, he he said, "Look, Roger Gracie's opening up a club. You need to go and train with Roger Gracie." And that was it. And then we we ended up training with Roger Gracie, and then the rest was history. And we just kind of kept going and going and going. Um, we in the end, the jiu jitsu club, the Japanese jiu jitsu club, sort of split. Part, uh, slip paths. You had uh, Barry, who was one half of the club, Barry Hart, and you had Nick Brooks, who was the other part of the club, and they sort of they went their separate ways, and the club became more of a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu um, based club. Um, we had a little submission wrestling club that we used to run at the Middlesex University. Um, I remember I was speaking to Rob about it yesterday because Rob used to come down there and bring his stepson down there. Um, so we used to, we used to go down there and train and then sooner or later we managed to sort of get things going and move on from there. But yeah, it's a, it's a crazy, it's a crazy journey from the beginning. Uh, there's so many stories around that. And, and so, um, I mean the sort of, I guess the other half of that question was 23 years later. Yeah. You, I mean, you were down to resistance last night yeah. and teaching and yeah. still obviously enjoy being on the mat and mm-hmm. <clears throat> enjoy being with with uh, students and, and um, other other jujitsu guys. So, I mean, do do you do you still have the same kind of passion for it, the same enjoyment? Has it changed? I mean, how do you how do you feel? Tw- it's twenty because I, I, I listened I, to the one you did yeah. with Dan, and it, so it's, it's roughly make it yeah. twenty three years. Yeah, I'd say yeah, roughly twenty twenty two twenty three years. I how, would say. how does it feel? Um, so. Yeah, I mean, it's ups and downs. Jiu-jitsu is not, it's not, you, I, I find it difficult to believe people are like, I love jiu-jitsu every single day. Um, it's not like that, I don't think. But I think it's a good thing because if you were to just just be oh, just straight love things every day, you're, you're, I don't think you're, I don't think it, I don't think anything's like that way. I think it has to have a balance. So it's hard. Jiu-jitsu is hard, but you it's okay to have days where you're like i just cannot stand jiu-jitsu uh and then you have days where you really love jiu-jitsu and you have you can that can go from days that can go for weeks that can go for months um but the consistency is the main thing 
what you what you end up doing is even if you really hate jujitsu, at that point you still train, you still turn up at the club, because I think it goes beyond just being uh, at the club doing jujitsu. It's being around like-minded people, being around friends that you've made over the years. I mean, I came down to Resistance yesterday and I was at uh, IOG on Tuesday and it's, it's more, um, yes, training is a big part of it. I enjoy training, enjoy rolling and my, uh, my invigoration, reinvigoration of jiu-jitsu recently is, is more going into a coaching aspect of things. I'm really enjoying exploring different coaching ideas. Um, but that just takes a different side of, of jiu-jitsu that I'm, I'm going. But a lot of it is just to be able to go and see friends, old faces, and be around people that, you know, we can just shoot shit and, and do that. But, yeah, it's it's all good. And so do, do you have any um, particular moments that stand out where you hated jiu-jitsu? Because <laughs> the way you said it, you know, you I kind of thought I saw a flicker of, yeah, there was that time. Was this thing. Is there uh, anything you know, that stands out or not really? I mean, I, I don't think it's like... I think it's just it's the same with everything. If you do something for long enough, you you have moments where you're just like, oh, this is really hard, and it's hard to motivate. Um, you know, you you can build. I mean, I suffer from uh, some from OCD, so I I will constantly make up narratives in my head, and you can think up all these all these scenarios like why I don't want to go training, or this that and the other. But you end up going, your body just kind of goes into autopilot. You pick your bag up and you go to the gym, and everything's fine. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's hard times. I mean, to pinpoint any one thing wouldn't be easy. But, you know, in the beginning, especially when I was a white belt, you know, training with Nick, I, it took me two years before I could submit anybody. So that's two years of turning up and being squashed and still turning up the next day and going home going, okay, this sucks. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna do something else. So, it, I, I and it was the next week. Okay, I'd come back, go again. The next day, come back, go again. Um, and remember, at that point, I was weighing maybe sixty kilos, and the guys that we had training with us were say eighty, ninety kilos, really strong guys. And you know, with everyone's still very you know not very technical, so it was hard. And so those days where you have to drag yourself up off the mat uh, and you're aching, you go home and you're like, "Why am I doing this?" And then the next day you get up, you go again. Then one day, two years later, you might catch someone. You go, "That's that was good." Okay, then we go again, and then you and then it just kind of keeps going and going. Um, nowadays. I'm 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 very much into the idea of of uh, of failure, <laughs> of learning to love to fail. Um, I think failure is a very important thing um, now, and I and and I think it's a, a very powerful thing. I think that if you can learn to to change your perception of what failure is, um, you can use that in a very very powerful way. Um, I. Uh, my what what's what what I've learned from this now is when I used to compete, um, I hated competing in jiu-jitsu. Like from white belt all the way through the black belt, um, I hated it because I would put so much pressure on myself, saying I've got to do this for my students, and if my students don't see me win, it's going to be horrible. They're going to not think of this or any this that and the other. Um, and I used to put so much pressure on myself, and I couldn't I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep very well. I would always only have like four hours sleep before I would compete. And I, and I, 
I really didn't like it, but I, I, I did it because I knew it would make me feel better, uh, make me make me get better. Um, and it was good experience. And even though I hated competing, I competed all around the world. I went to, I've been to the Europeans. I went to Lisbon for the Europeans a, a couple of times. Um, my first fight at Blue Belt was the Europeans, thanks to Roger. Um, I went to, I went to Brazil. I fought in Brazil. I fought at Tijuca um, with a with a with a really bad knee because my knee got um, smashed. Uh, the week before in Sao Paulo. So I fought in Sao Paulo. Uh, I fought in the Mondials at Ca uh, in California. Um, so I've been around the world and competed around the world um, and hated it. <laughs> Every <laughs> I hated time. competing. I just really didn't enjoy it. Um, but I did it. And it, and, it was, and it was kind of a bit of a proof to myself that you can do it. But you still didn't enjoy it. Now... I'm quite, I quite enjoy competition because I don't put the pressure on myself anymore. I kind of look at it as like, well, I'm not, I'm not doing this for anyone else. I'm doing this for me so I can use this as data collection so I can go, okay, this is what I need to work on for the year. So my philosophy in competing now, I'm not a, I'm not a professional athlete. I'm just going I, and I do jiu-jitsu and I've got people that want to do jiu-jitsu with me and so I'll teach jiu-jitsu uh, and, and I use that as a way of developing my coaching. But for competitive I, I i my sort of philosophy is it with it is I, i'll do two competitions a year and try and make them big competitions so i'll save i'll save my money and i and i'll do say two ibjjf competitions a year beginning and the end of the year and what i'll look at doing is i'll go okay beginning of the year let's do a competition let's see what happens okay i got smashed what well, how did you get smashed okay uh, i got stuck in this position now i've got something to work on for the whole year i'll work on that for the whole year i'll go back in at the end of the year, let's try again, see what happens. Oh, look, you, you, you got out of that bit. Oh, you, that didn't quite work. Try it again next year. So then you can try it the next time. So you've now got, you've got data collection, you've got points to go, this is working. What do you need to work on? Work on this. At the end of the year, work on this. At the end of the year, this worked, this didn't work. So I think it's a really good, I use it, I'm using failure now as a really powerful tool as motivation to, to, to work on things. And that, that can go from something as big scale as that, large scale, or just, okay, this week at the academy, I've been getting caught with this. What am I doing wrong? Okay, then put yourself in that position. Work out how you got out of that position. So use failure as a, as a tool to move forward. Because... I used to do it. You get stuck in it. You go, like, oh, this is rubbish. And it can bring you all the way back down. And that creates just sad times for jiu-jitsu in your life. But it opens up to good times as well because you have to have good with the bad. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of almost like a fractal, right? Like yeah. The, in the, in the, even maybe between rounds is the smallest time frame yeah. or during a round. Yeah. Yeah. And then between rounds and then between classes mm -hmm. and then between weeks and months and yeah. competitions yeah. and whatever. Because I can remember... Um, you you saying that when we when we were getting ready for the Euros a few years ago, yeah, and um, Nick Nick said well, he's going to do this competition program. I think it was eight weeks, and he said yeah. we're going to run it twice. We're going to do right. like eight weeks and then eight weeks again. And so the the week one was start. It was sparring from set positions, mm -hmm. so from someone's on your back, you're under yeah. side control, you know, etc. Do do all of those things, and then we and then we did the sort of seven weeks of um, just sort of comps comp rounds, comp sparring, but the intensity would kind of increase. Mm -hmm. So you'd have the ones where the buzzer would go halfway through the round. Yeah. You have to stand up, sprint to the wall, come back, go Classic, straight. Yeah, all of that stuff. Yeah, but I 
for some reason, I kind of missed the concept mm -hmm. of week one. Yeah. So we went through these other seven weeks and we yeah. got to eight weeks. And you know, like Nick as well, when he would say something and you wouldn't get it and he would give you that look like, what the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> but, oh, I know that looked really well. <laughs> we, we, got to, we got to the to like week eight and he was right. He's like, uh, right, so now these last seven weeks you've practiced dealing with all the stuff you messed up on week one. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> did I? what we were supposed to be doing. <laughs> thought we were like getting fit. So, uh, yeah, so I, I completely messed, messed up it. the first cycle. But, um, yeah, exact, exactly that, you know, yeah. seeing where you get stuck yeah. and then trying to figure out. Yeah. So, so actually that, that sort of leads quite nicely into um, the way you were teaching last night. Yes. And this is similar to what Ed was talking about when I had Ed yeah. in here. Um was that was a great podcast by the way it was it was really good yeah a lot of people had enjoyed listening yeah. to ed i mean i you know I, I don't normally get good feedback that people enjoy listening to me but everyone enjoyed <laughs> listening to ed no i thought it was good i thought it was really good it was it was really informative and you, you definitely he's, that really yeah, he's well. a he's a he's a fascinating uh yeah. guy to speak to so yes um i think it's probably episode nine, ten, eight, nine, ten. Yeah. if you guys want to go listen to it um but <clears throat> This is this is sort of, I guess you know something that, that you've come to through experience. But mm. the thing that I found very difficult with jujitsu because I did kung fu before, so I had yeah. a black belt. I was training quite a lot, yeah. And I I saw UFC one, and then I was like, oh, amazing, like yeah. jujitsu. Yeah. There was no jujitsu clubs, you know. I saw no. it when it no. happened, so there was yeah. like wow. nothing, yeah, yeah. And um, you know, I looked for kind of. When I say looked again, there was no internet, no. so I kind of asked around. No, no one's yeah, got no a clue. One and then um, maybe like 15, 18, 15 years ago, a friend of mine uh, had started training with Eddie Cohn. Yes, and just a guy who I used to do kung fu with. Oh, excellent! And uh, he just rung me up and said. Um, I found this jiu-jitsu club. I'm going and Hoist Gracie's coming to teach a seminar tonight. Do you <laughs> want to come? Oh, my God. <laughs> and I was like, so that was my first class. Oh, wow. That's uh, how, How's that for a first oh, class? That's mate, amazing. It was, I've still got a patch, a gi patch, because yeah. he, he obviously was selling these gi patches. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to run downstairs. It was The gym was above like one of them 24-hour shops. Right. So like, let me run downstairs and buy a felt-tip pen. Oh, yeah, and get yeah. get him to sign the patch. Amazing. So I've still got a signed patch at Fantastic, home. Fantastic, yeah. But... Um, the the thing that I found really difficult, so that, so I trained I trained there with Eddie for about six months, but I, I smashed my neck up and I had to stop training. Right, got you. But the thing that I found really difficult was just understanding what the fuck was going on, <laughs> because it certainly for me, I'm, I think a lot of people have a similar kind of experience at the beginning, mm. is that it's incredibly unintuitive the yep. way you move, yeah, and it's very um, unintuitive mm. measured against other martial arts yeah so in terms of things like looking for an underhook mm -hmm. you know generally with stand-up stuff you're not trying to tuck your arm under someone's armpit because you're going to get knocked the fuck out yeah really quickly you don't want to be close you want to be controlling distance and keeping yeah and you're and you know you're 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 sort of uh, turn your body away a little bit mm -hmm. to shield. Mm. So, you know, you're rolling away yeah. from punches and kicks yeah. and things like that. And and jiu-jitsu is kind of the opposite, right, where you're turning into the guy generally, especially yeah. when you're learning, you know, yeah. coming in 
re regarding from yeah, yeah, side control and things like turning that. into the danger. Yeah, you're not yeah, and, turning and, away. And looking for underhooks instead of having your hands up around the yeah. around the head and everything. And I and I found it, you know, incredibly difficult to understand what was going on. You know, I used to um Eddie would be showing something and I'd already be after like move three, I was already like what well, well, I I can't remember the first move, but you know, <laughs> then he would always ask like a little question halfway through. So yeah. if you're here, where do you want to go? And I'm always like, right. And he's like, no, left. <laughs> like, oh, okay. So where do you want to go from here? <laughs> uh, backwards. No, you want to go forwards. And I'm like, really, I really thought I was right this time. But, but where, where, where I'm very, very slowly leading to is that what, the way you taught last night mm-hmm. was to, um, Give some tools in the warm-up, yeah. like some concepts yeah. of here's how you could regain a guard, yeah. depending on how far out of position you get. Yeah. And now if I put you into this scenario mm-hmm. and you've got to get from here to there, off you go. Yeah. Rather than sort of saying, okay, so you're going to put one hand here, move your hip, come back, take a grip, yeah. blah, 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 and, and just walking us through yeah. it. It was very much like, okay, you are giving you like here's A, B, C and how you form a word. Yes. But now I want you to write a little story about what you did today. Yeah. And then let's just sort of see how see the story how comes. Goes. Yeah. So so how how did you sort of develop into teaching like that? So so um this is still work in progress. Uh I I um I mean I come from, from having Nick as a teacher. Uh and I've always taught the way we always taught um Nick did a lot of specific sparring. Uh, in every class, we would do specific sparring. Um, but we would always have, it, he would teach how he was taught, which is the same as how everyone else has been taught. Uh, and that's, you know, you start the class, have a little warm up, you do some techniques. And then what Nick would do was specific sparring. And then at the end, everyone has fun, do some sparring. Okay. So that was, that was kind of like the structure. Uh, we used to do an hour and a half class. So I'd sort of struck when I was teaching in the early days, cause I mean, I was teaching classes since I was a blue belt. Um, cause in those days, uh, purple belts were unicorns and brown belts were myths and black belts didn't exist. <laughs> but, um, the, but we, I was teaching since I was a blue belt, so I would always kind of structure out, okay, so we've got 15 minutes to do this, we do half an hour, we do this, we do this for half an hour, and we do this for half an hour. Like, well, I'll structure it out that sort of way. Um, it's only really recently, so from having a lot of conversations with Ed, and I know Ed's background with um, with his um, like uh, neuroscience and, and, and stuff that he's studied in time, um, and, and I've had lots of spend hours on the phone to the guy just to try and like pick his brain and go okay how does this work what would you do with this and how would this work um and there's a couple of other things i followed online i think uh, is it standard jiu-jitsu as a as a uh a guy uh, who does a similar sort of thing um and kit dale actually does a very similar sort of thing i was talking to ed about this the other night about um kit dale and that i think that he had some really good ideas, but the language wasn't there. Um, he kind of was like, the, when he came out with this sort of idea of kind of um, setting scenarios and letting the person try to figure out, it was kind of like, well, why are you drilling? Just spar. And it was kind of like, well, no, that, that's, not, I don't, that's not what we're doing. It's, there's more to it. Um, so, so what I do now, so the way I sort of structure my class now is 
we do a, a slight warm up, but the warm up is is more of a movement based thing. I don't I don't like the idea of doing a half an hour warm up, running around, loads of burpees, um, because I just feel that people come to learn jujitsu, and if they want to get fit, they'll go to the gym. So like we we, we we people pay their money monthly to learn jujitsu. So I will I will do a very movement based type thing. So like we did yesterday, we did got foot around one theme which was guard recovery. So stepping on the hips, inverting, trying to see where where it goes. It's all around the same sort of theme of creating frames and and um and then I will sort of try and encourage that in the end sort of when we're sort of in between things I'll talk about framing and I'll talk about what your hips are and just taking breaking things down into more of a uh, structural thing rather than going okay you're going to lift your hips up and put your hips back here it's more um well you're using your hips as a as a frame to bring your leg back round to bring your hips back in close or you're using your leg as a frame you can't reach with this leg so you have to use the far leg and um this sort of stuff so it's it's all based around a similar sort of thing so that's what i sort of use as a warm-up now and now then we go into what what i kind of call it i don't really call it anything but it's it's, it's kind of uh, constricted sparring restricted sparring so the way I'll do it is I'll come, I'll sit at home and I'll come up with, I'll sit and list out a class and I'll say, right, this is what I want to work on. And I'll work out how I'm going to do this restricted sparring. And then I'll go to class and none of it works. But this goes back to this idea of failure of like, okay, how, why, why didn't it work? Okay, let's look at this. Let's try this and then go and change it. Okay, we'll change this. We'll change this. Cool. Excellent. Let's do it again. Um, and so I will create scenarios where I'm trying to lead the person into what I want them to do. Because what how was it? I was listening to Kit Dale the other day. He was talking about how um, the, you know, the 10,000 hours drill mm-hmm. sort of stuff. It takes 10,000 hours to learn a, a thing. And he was saying that if you, if you took that with everything in jiu-jitsu, you'll be 150 years old before you're even good at knowing everything. Okay, well, knowing at least a, a basic enough amount of stuff. Okay, um, but there was a scientist, who, was a scientist or a, a, a lady who studied this sort of thing, uh, and she said that you can do something twelve times in play, and you'll be able to pick things up quicker. Because that's how we learn. When we were kids, we learned from playing. We didn't learn by by picking up a couple thousand times. We learned by picking it up and dropping it on the floor and realizing that I oh, know I need to hold my hand here. Um, I kind of equate. This is a bit weird, maybe, but I, I kind of equate the, the belt system to a, almost like a, a life cycle. Um, so as a white belt, you're, you're in your adolescence, you are, you're a baby, you're brand new, you're still putting synapses in your head, you're still trying to create synapses, you're still trying to like, uh, understand movement, you're trying to understand why a grip here, but you're not strong enough to get a proper grip. You're making mistakes all the time. This is as a white belt. You get to a blue belt, you're a teenager, you think you know everything. Right, you're a blue belt. You're a teenager. You think you know everything. Um, you've got more confident because you've got these little synapses. You, you think you're, you're good. You're great. Um, but then you, certain things don't work, and certain things do work. You have to kind of get through a, a maturity to when you're sort of 20 or 30 years old and you're a purple belt, and you're starting to understand the ideas of like uh, what you've learned as an adolescent, what you've learned as a teenager. But you've gone through that sort of time as sort of a 20, 30 year old where you're you're kind of like. Um, you're developing on the stuff that you know 
um, by the time you sort of developed everything, you get to a brown belt where you're just middle-aged. You're kind of broken. Um, you're, I know that you're <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh, you're kind of broken. Um, you're still kind of putting things together. Um, you're learning to try and communicate this idea. I, I often equate brown belt to being a teaching belt, um, trying to communicate these ideas to to the younger generation. You're a middle-aged guy, you know, in, in life, you know, especially nowadays, you're, you're people having kids older. So when you're, as you're older and you're going towards more of a middle age, you're, you're trying to teach your, your kids. So you're trying to teach the white belts to help and, and move those on. And by the time you get to a black belt, you've kind of worked through everything. You're kind of an older, an older gentleman uh, and you've got that wisdom. You've got that idea, but you're still developing you know, 60, 70 years old, you're still learning. You're not, you don't know everything. Um, so I think, I think I equate it to that sort of idea. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's allowing someone to play and move uh, with restriction to try and get them to do what they want to do and then by what you want them to do. And I think as a, as a coach, you can, rather than spoon feeding, you'll just facilitate them into it, funnel them into a, what you want them to do. Um, and it's really difficult. It's really difficult. Um, you have to have students that sort of will uh, understand what you're going to do, and will and are will sort of buy into the idea of this is what we're going to do. Uh, and we're not going to learn everything straight away. We're not going to learn all these techniques. We're just going to be trying to do stuff. Uh, I will give an idea, like I did yesterday. So we will do some restricted sparring, and I will give an idea. Look, he needs this. He needs his legs to, we were doing butterfly guard, he needs his legs to, to be able to move and turn. So if I can take away his legs somehow, how am I going to do that? Okay, let's do a drill again. Think about trying to take away his legs, the use of his legs. So now you've got that idea in your head, how can I take away the use of the legs? Well, I could go really close and try and stop them from being able to extend their legs out. Or I could create distance so I can stop them from being able to, um, to be able to use their hook effectively. They're too overreaching on their legs, so there's no power, so you can move them around. Um, so I've, I've, I've just taken ideas from, from speaking to Ed uh, and kind of just muddled my own sort of ideas and things that I've taken from other people and kind of mushed them. Um, but like I say, it's still a work in progress. I, 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 and I think that's okay because, you know, we're not all, you're not born as a great instructor. You just kind of learn and you go along. But um, I'm having a lot of success with it. I'm seeing a lot of uh, good development with it. And I, I do think it's a, a nice way of moving forward rather than being just stuck in the same rigid way. This is how you teach jiu-jitsu. Yeah, I mean, you know, martial arts in that sense, you know, they are traditional martial arts are quite ancient. Yeah. And they do get, I think, very... Um, <clears throat> bogged down and kind of fossilized in this is the way we do yes, things. absolutely. You know, like one of the things that I, that I liked so much with jiu-jitsu was that they got music on. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. They, they play yeah. music when they're training. Like, you know, <clears throat> when you I used to be in Metallica's my, in the background. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, in my, in my kung, fu, kung fu club, it was very sort of mm. strict and, you know, you can't turn up late. And yeah. when you do turn up, you've got to wait at the door till the yeah. instructor acknowledges you, bow, go in and bow to all the black belts. That's and, exactly how it was in the Japanese jiu-jitsu yeah. days where we, you, you, uh, I, you know, like you would have to bow when you walked in. Yeah. You bow before you get on the mat. You bow when you, you want to go to the toilet. You ask your instructor to go to the toilet. You go, I'm going to go to the toilet. Okay, no problems. You bow when you go off the mat. You go to the toilet. You come back. You wait 
until the instructor allows you to come back on the mat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if any of that gets, if if you miss any of that, you're punished. Yeah, you're doing press ups or <laughs> yeah, getting hit with yeah. a stick. Yeah. Depends whose class you're at. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. So, but I mean, I think I think um, you know that that sort of uh, legacy way of doing things. There, there is value in it because of the tradition and because yes. of sort of creating uh, a culture of being respectful and yes. good timekeeping and good yes. manners and, you yes. know, good observation of things. And, you know, all of that has its place. But I think it's certainly not um, an optimised way of learning or of teaching. Mm. In the same way, if you follow like all these biohackers, you know, Tim Ferriss yeah. and... and um, uh, bulletproof coffee guy. Uh, um, yeah, I don't you know. know I know I've heard of bulletproof coffee. Um, you know, they, these guys are are very kind of cutting edge in terms mm -hmm. of okay, if you uh, if you do cold water yeah. immersion, you know, like I had um, Tom Sparks in on a couple of days ago. Yeah, who's um, he's training at uh, Marlow. Um, oh yeah, with Callum RGA Marlow. Yeah. Um, but he was at is it rogue before before they split off and became militia okay. with dom yeah um but but he's a he's a osteopath okay Excellent. and he he mentioned something the same way that um has, has come up on another podcast before was about doing cold water therapy yes is that you shouldn't do it um straight after you train right because um when you so so after you work out you produce localized inflammation okay. and muscles are inflamed makes sense and that you're breaking the muscles yes exactly so there's there's inflammatory markers and whatever yeah. and that's what causes that's what stimulates the muscle growth because it says to the body yeah there's a problem here go I and see. repair it yeah if you do the cold water straight away it kills the inflammation okay so you're kind of killing your training effect makes sense but then he he said yesterday but you shouldn't do the cold water too late in the day mm -hmm. because after you do the cold water your core temperature will go up which stops you going into a deep sleep because your core temperature needs to go down when you sleep right okay so you know there's all these kind of evolutions that happen yeah. as you understand things better that you realize oh cold water is good yeah. you know traditionally you would have said no don't don't go in cold water it's not good for you have a hot shower yes yeah yeah now yeah, it's yeah. no have a cold bath but yeah. then it's have a cold bath but not too not you know you see all these ufc yeah. countdown oh, videos yeah, well, yeah. they're straight in the cold plunge yeah yeah but you shouldn't do that no you should, no you should wait like three or four hours for the inflammatory markers to go yeah and then you do your cold and water, then you do you know so i think i think it's sort of um it makes sense to try to apply newer ways of thinking and newer mm. ways of doing things to to the teaching of jiu-jitsu because jiu-jitsu brazilian jiu-jitsu you know really as a as a martial art as a sport whatever you want to call it mm -hmm. it is in its infancy yeah it's a really young yeah. thing because yeah. it didn't really exist um before ufc no, it was there in it, Brazil in yeah. very sort of closed off circles. Yeah, it was it was it was quite um yeah, unique to, to Yeah, a, and to you an could area. and you know, if you didn't know someone, you you couldn't train, you know, there was outside of Brazil there was barely anything. I mean, California Hori and Gracie yeah, yeah, a little bit, yeah. but even that was just around that UFC time. Yeah. So actually, you know, it's sort of 23 yeah. years old. Yeah. Pretty much. Well, I wouldn't <laughs> say that. I mean, but yeah, it was it was I mean, it was you know, like I said, when when I started, there was from what I there was no British-born black belts. It was um, 
it was the only black belts that I knew that I knew at the time. There's probably around five or six in the in the country, um, all Brazilian guys, um, and um, they so you know they they were around, but again you didn't have any way of finding them. You, you, they weren't on the yellow pages, and people listen to this younger generation probably won't even know what the yellow pages is. I say this to my kids, like in the, to the kids in the, my kids' class, and they have no, no clue what the yellow pages is. Um, so they, so you know, they were hard to find. Um, and it was it was only through doing Japanese jiu-jitsu that, that we found uh, Joel. Uh, Joel at that time was a, a blue belt under Hobbin Gracie, um, which was one of Elu's sons who teaches in Barcelona. Uh, he was a blue belt under. Um, under Hobbin, and when he came to teach, um, he we, we were he he would show us some jujitsu, and it was the most amazing thing we'd ever seen. Like in the gi, you're like whoa, what is all this? Um, so I took it upon myself at that point when we met João um, that I was going to go and train in Portugal. So I went to Portugal for six weeks, and I stayed uh, stayed in the hostel. Uh, me and a friend of mine we stayed out there for six weeks. Uh, trained twice a day, uh, six times, six days a week. Um, trying to learn Portuguese. I was trying to practice my Portuguese when I was out there, um, and um, and just kind of getting an idea of everything. I think I was like I was a white belt at the time because I was an orange belt in in Japanese jiu-jitsu. So I remember like just going out there with an orange belt on. <laughs> um, but well, we learned lucky, lucky le- you weren't a purple belt. Yeah, that's it. Could you imagine? <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was it was such a uh, an interesting thing, and it was it was really kind of kickstarted me into training a lot more. Uh, and so you know, from that point on, I was training maybe three to five days a week at sort of the age of. So 18, 19 at that point. It's kind of peak physical time yeah. to train and recover and yeah. be yeah. ready to go, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. I can definitely feel the difference now to 20 years ago. <laughs> wait, wait, how old are you now? 38 now. Yeah, wait for another 15 years. <laughs> Come back to me in 15 years, bro. <laughs> <Give my choice. laughs> yeah. Um But yeah, like it was, it, that, I mean, that was really cool. And and from doing that, kept kept in touch with Joel. I, I, I still, me and Joel still talk. Uh, now, uh, I went when, so I was due my third, due my third degree and Nick was going to give me my third degree the day Nick went to hospital. Um, so I, um, you know, unfortunately Nick couldn't give me my third degree. So I wanted to get from, to be presented with it. I mean, I could have, Nick had done the certificate and it was all there for me. I could have just put the the thing on myself and it would have been fine. But, um, I wanted to have someone who meant a lot to me to be able to present to me with the third degree. Now, um, Joao is a third degree himself. Um, Robin takes a very long time giving his belts out, uh, and uh, Joao is the third degree himself. Uh, so I approached Joao and I said, "Do you mind if I come to Portugal and you can present me my third degree? Because it would mean a lot to me to come from my first instructor." And uh, he said, "You know, I'm not sure if I can, but I will talk to Harbin and I'll find out." Um, he spoke to Harbin, and Harbin said, "I know Nick. Uh, he knew Nick, and he he's like, I I don't." You know, he doesn't doesn't know me personally, but he knows that if 
he was in my position, he would want the same thing. So, um, so he said, you absolutely can do that. So, uh, so I went over there and it was a, a lovely moment where we, we spoke about Nick and we, we had a nice chat and we, we'd spoke and we had, um, we had a meal and stuff and, and during one of the classes presented with my third degree and, and, and that meant a lot to me to do things that way. Um, I don't even know where we started with this conversation. That's, that would be about 18 months ago. Yeah, so that was in April. Oh, that was April last year. Oh, so a year ago. Yeah, about a year ago. Um, a year today? When, well, when did could you it go? be? It could be. I don't know. I have to check Facebook because it comes up and says, a year ago you were here. Right. It hasn't come up yet. <laughs> no, it hasn't come All up right, yet. So, so maybe, maybe not yet. Maybe, maybe, maybe a little bit maybe later. Maybe tomorrow. Yeah, maybe tomorrow. <laughs> maybe by the time you're listening to this, it will have been a year. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it was. Uh, that was that was a beautiful moment, and it was really good. So, how long did you take to get your your black belt? You, nine you years. Know. Nine years. And um, and that's that's sort of nine ten years is kind. I of... think that's around around average. I mean, I was training. So I trained two years prior to doing gi jujitsu no gi with Nick. So we did two years no gi, um, and I. Got uh, we put a gi on and I was training with Joao. Joao went back to Portugal and we went to train at Rogers. It took me about eight months to get my blue belt um, because I, obviously, well, I say it'd be three, two and two years, mm-hmm. eight months um, to get my blue belt um, with Roger. In those days, you didn't have stripes; it was just white belt, blue belt. Um, so, yeah, so I had my blue belt from Roger, which I didn't want because I wanted to do the Europeans at white belt. And he said, no, you can't do the Europeans at white belt. You have to do it at blue belt. So I said, okay, thank you. <laughs> and how was that? You screwed me over there, Roger. Uh, so uh, I, he put the blue belt on me and... Um, was that at adult you went? At adult, yeah. At so adult. Like a, and was that, was that groups of 60 guys in those days? Um I mean, adult blue I think, belt is well, like adult, mega, right? I mean, in those days, I mean, they weren't as big as they are now. Now it's <laughs> it's obscene. I, I remember, I remember Strauss going to the to the worlds when we went to the worlds at blue belt adult, um, and he was a lightweight, and there was something like 120 people, and that was in 2008, I think 2008. Yeah, it's, it's insane. Um, but like the uh, at um, at Blue Belt then, I think there was maybe maybe 30 or 50 people, still a fair whack, um, and that was at Light Feather, Pluma, so at, uh, uh, under 64. So, uh, yeah, so that was that was when I got that, and then, um, so, so it was about, yeah, eight months in a gi for getting that, and then the uh, longest belt for me was Blue Belt, about two and a half to three years at Blue Belt, uh, and then it was just two and two uh, at Purple and Brown. So it's still, it takes, uh, it's still not, uh, it's, I think that's the thing, with, the, the beauty of, of jiu-jitsu is it, it's, it's not a quick thing, it's, it's a slow process and you have to learn to be patient and yeah. enjoy that process and just go, okay, well, I'm not going to get my, 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 my blue belt, I'm not going to get my purple belt anytime soon, I'm just, I'm just here to train. And once you just think, I'm just here to train, Everything else just going goes out the window, and then and one day you get presented. Oh, here, here, yeah. here you go. Here's your blue belt. I, I think it, I think it is again. It's a, it's um it's like another fractal kind of thing because mm. that sort of being patient, um, mm. 
you know, knowing when to move and when to wait and when yeah. to frame and when to bump yeah. and explode and whatever. It is, it is, it is like a fractal of yeah. jujitsu. Yeah. Because you know you do have to sort of keep turning up and keep getting on with it, and you get smashed. But some days you smash someone else and yeah it's kind of exactly how it is in a round where you do just have to sort of learn like you say you know to to just okay i'm gonna get smashed for the first two years I've just, <laughs> i'll accept that yeah you and got then a, and then i'll get better yeah. yeah yeah it's very it's a very good um it's a very good teacher i find yeah. jujitsu you know it yeah. teaches you a lot of a lot of things it teaches you to be patient and be resilient and yeah i yeah. mean there's the, the my my i was thinking about it when you when you said uh, initially about sort of the ups and downs i mean yeah. my, my jiu-jitsu um career is much much shorter than yours so i like i said i started training with uh, eddie Cohn, but that was yeah. about six months and i couldn't train for about 10 years because of my wow. neck wow yeah so um when it when everything started to heal up i went to ibi at east finchley yes started training with ed yeah went to mill hill etc but <clears throat> I think within probably like three, three, four months of restarting again, I herniated my disc. Wow. And it yeah. was, when I say it was fucked, <laughs> like for probably six months, yeah. I couldn't sleep, I couldn't sit down, I couldn't oh, walk, God. like I couldn't do anything. I just no. would have to do something and then after five minutes, like move a bit. Yeah, I have and to move and just was, to readjust and readjust. But and... I was like, I'm not stopping training. Yeah. I'm just going to. Because if I stop now, I mean, I was I was then forty four. I was like, if I stop now and wait five years for my back to get, yeah. I'm going to be fifty. I'm never going to train. Yeah, and I yeah. and I desperately had wanted to do it all the way from seeing UFC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, fuck it, I'm just going to train. Yeah. So I was um, I was I was going regularly to Mill Hill. Yeah. And I used to do Monday both classes, Wednesday both classes, and then Friday wow. night sparring. Yeah, perfect. And the sparring, because I had really bad shoulders as well. Yeah. So I couldn't really play on top because of my shoulders. Yeah. So I would sort of try to pull guard but not get crushed because of right. my back and just sort of hang out. Mm. And um, I can remember, like, I used to I used to go always to the, the Friday night sparring class. Yeah. And, it, you know, it was always, like, kind of... Well, they're the techno nights. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> but like kind of... Six o'clock, seven o'clock, I'd start getting like that little bit nervous because yeah. you didn't know who was going to turn up. No. And Nick was just going to say, right, you three. And it's like, fuck. Like yeah. one night I got put with this guy who was a doorman. Yeah. It was like his first, second class, but he'd been doing some <laughs> no-gi stuff. And you've got a herniated disc. Yeah, and you're yeah. like, I'm going to get thrown all over the place. But I remember there was this one night when um, Nick paired everyone up. Mm. And did you used to do those ones? Uh, I think I've been to one or two, but I remember Friday nights being a Like when, when people used to turn up late. After yeah. Nick had paired everyone, oh, he no, used to lose no, you it. you don't do that. No, I, I, he used to do that when we would do uh, just competition sparring in general. It would always be like, no, you're not. You're late, go away. He used to you're, lose it. You can't it. train. So, so it was one of them nights where he paired everyone up. <laughs> oh, shit. And then someone turned up. But I think it was someone who's like a sort of a purple belt, brown belt. Yeah. And they said, but I sent you a message. And he was like, Ugh! and then he looked at his phone. And he's like, oh, yeah, they did send me a message. <laughs> so he's like, okay, fine. So he had to kind of move things around a bit. Yeah. And then it ended up as... Me, him, and Rob Connor. Oh, beautiful. He met, what, what a treat. Well, yeah. <laughs> but it kind of messed their group up because yeah, they yeah, had yeah. the third person, like yeah, yeah. Silvio or someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they had to move him and play. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. They both kind of looked at me like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> so, I, can, I mean, you know what Rob's like? Yeah. He's kind of like, if you try, even as a white belt, right? Yeah. If I try to do something to him, yeah. he would just do it back to me. Right, And yes. then tell me like, 
don't bother trying to do that to me. Yeah, I ain't yeah, going to yeah. work on me. I'm, yeah. like, well, I'm, I'm just trying to do jiu-jitsu. I'm going to try. I need to try. <laughs> but, but, I, but, but it was, so it was an hour's class, right? Yeah. And it was probably 45 minutes into the, into the sparring. Mm -hmm. And um, Nick just stopped. Hot, like they fucking beat the shit out of me <laughs> for, for 45 minutes. And then Nick just stopped halfway through the round. And he looked at me and he said, if you're not even going to try, don't fucking bother coming. And he just got up and walked off, went, went to sit by the computer. And I was, at this time, I was like 45 years old. I was oh, like man. so close to just breaking, yeah. crying. Yeah. I was just sitting yeah. on the mat like, oh, mate. Fuck, but, and man. then you're like, but I am trying. Yeah, but you yeah. can't say that. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I'm not going to be like that little yeah. bitch. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, So no. I just, I just kind of sat there and yeah. then, and then the, Timer went, Rob came over and like beat me up a bit. And then, yeah. and then that was like the end of the yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just went home and I was yeah. like, fuck. But you know, the th and then I went back the next class yeah. and Nick was fine. Yeah. You know, he's like, yeah. hey, you're right. How's it going? You yeah. Know? yeah. For him, it was, he didn't even remember yeah. doing yeah. it. But you know, it was such a, it was such a good lesson mm. of, to me, because I think everybody does the same thing. I know I do it a lot. Mm. Is that I'm in my head a lot, yeah. like creating this whole, fucking big story about yeah. my life that I'm yes. the center of this movie and it's yes, this and yes, it's yes, that and oh yeah. yeah but no one else has got a herniated disc yeah, and yeah, blah, blah, yeah. This, that. I couldn't train for so long all yeah. this stuff and then it's kind of it it really taught me this lesson that I've never forgot about thinking that you're having it tough and that yeah. you're kind of getting through it yeah and actually having it tough and actually getting through yeah. it yeah I was just like listen no one gives a fuck yeah. about all this shit that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Just, just go and do it. No one cares. Yeah. If you if you keep coming, eventually yeah. someone will care. But otherwise, yeah. if you don't come, like no one, no one really gives a shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was really a good lesson for me of like, yeah, you know what? You need to stop sort of telling yourself, oh, you're gonna do this and that and the other. Yeah. No, just keep keep going, yeah. keep turning up. And I remember what Nick always used to say. And at the beginning, I used to think, oh, he's kind of joking. And, yeah. he, and he half was and he half wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever he used to give out a blue belt, yeah. he used to say, tonight another nobody becomes, becomes a somebody. somebody. Yeah. <laughs> and at the beginning, I was like, oh, he's kind of messing around. And then uh, yeah. after a while, I kind of realized, no, because yeah. you, know, you must have seen it as well. And I saw yeah. it at Kung Fu, like the yeah. amount of people that just drop out. Yeah. They're talented. They're yeah. good. They train a lot. They're going to yeah. do this. That, and then they just... Yeah. Float away, yeah. stop coming. Oh uh, yeah, they they come and they found something else, or they, they do you something. you really you really got to like be determined and mm. you know dogged. To just you have to show that you're you're willing to go through go through fire. Yeah. To get to where to get to that end yeah. that end point, and that, and guess what that end point. Isn't the end point? Yeah, no, no. It's just the worst fire. <laughs> it's just another fire. Yeah. Um, but that's but that's it, but that's what it teaches you, and, that, and I think that's why it's a good thing for people to do and 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 use to, throughout life is because you it teaches you what grind is. Yeah. Uh, and people talk about we just grind, you yeah, know, yeah, wake yeah. and grind, rise, rise and grind, and all this stuff. But but you know, like like you say. When you go, you go somewhere, and someone who you you admire, Nick, I admired Nick, and they turn around and go to, if you're not going to fucking try, then fuck off. <laughs> um, you're like, you're like, shit. This is a guy like who I have got a lot of respect for, and he's just completely dressed me down. And it and it and it does. It hurts your ego, and your ego just goes, what the hell was that? 
Um, but you go home and you, you may dwell on it. I used to dwell on it. And then it's just by automatic. It's like, okay, Tuesday's here. Let's go training. Yeah. And you get your bag and you go training. And you realize that whatever that moment was, that moment is gone. Yeah. And you go to the next moment. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and that's and that's all it really is. Just yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that that was one of the things that I that I had learned from kung fu. Yeah, just keep turning up. Just keep turning. Because the amount of people that were better than me when yeah. I started, and then you'd see them after two years, three years, five, when they hadn't been training. Yeah, and they'd kind of come back in for a couple of classes. Yeah, and you'd just smash them because yeah. they ain't been training. That's and you've it. been that's training. It. I mean, you know, and you 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 do you do have to just be consistent with it. it you just have to turn up that's how you get a black belt it's, it's one of the up. yeah one of the things that that still always um you know i kind of whenever we watch ufc yeah when they're, and they're commentating and they're they always will mention if someone's got a jujitsu belt yes you know so they'll go like oh 38 professional uh you know kickboxing fights yeah 55 my tie fights and he's a purple belt in jiu-jitsu. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, jiu-jitsu is like legit. <laughs> it right? has its has its has its uh, its own ranking system. That's it. Yeah, you know? yeah. They never they never say, oh, you know, he's a brown belt in karate or he's yeah, 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 orange yeah. belt in you know whatever. In, but uh, jiu-jitsu is like a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. but I think because of because of how almost prestigious it is and how hard it is to just physically and mentally to get those belts. It's worth it's worth the mention, yeah, and, and the consistency, yes, because that in itself, you know, you you you, you over the course of probably ten years, you can go through a lot of life things. Mm. You know, you can get married, you can get divorced, you can have kids, you can get injured, you can have to change careers, or you qualify and start working, mm-hmm. or you've got to mm-hmm. move, change countries, whatever. Yeah. You know, so <clears throat> it's not just. The sort of oh, you've got to persevere and you've got to do it. Yeah. It's a, it's quite difficult yeah. to be consistent for yeah. ten years. Absolutely. with something, yeah. just keep going. Yeah, keep Ab- going and keep absolutely. going. Absolutely, it's uh, it, it is it is life gets in the way. Yeah, you know, life gets in the way. You know, I had, um, you know, I, you know, I, luckily, luckily, before I, uh, I managed to get a lot of training under my belt and achieve my black belt before I was married and had kids and did all this. Um, cause it, that puts in itself puts a strain on things. Um, but you then when you, if you, if you're doing jujitsu, it's one of those things is once you pick it up, you really can't put it down. It's really hard to put it back down. Um, unless you, and, 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 with having a family and everything like that, I still didn't put it down. So I just kept going. It may not be as much as I used to train. You know, I probably train maybe three days a week now. Um, but it's still three days a week more than if I just gave up. So, yeah. So that's, so that's, 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 that's something in itself, you know. And are you still doing the sort of two times a year competing? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I competed in uh, the London Open recently in February. And the uh, plan is to compete in the London Open in fall, uh, in the autumn. And so that's the plan for this year. And then next year I want to do the Europeans uh, in January and then do the London Open in October. And that's just, I want that to make my, my normal thing. Nick always used to only, he used to only really do two competitions a year. Uh, and that was the Europeans. I mean, later on, in the early days, he did everything. 
Like he was all over the place. Um, but the, the the two main competitions he always said to do, because he was like, I'm not going to do, you know, I'm not going to do this like local competition. I'm not going to do this local competition. I'm, I'm just going to do two competitions that I want to do. And it was always the Europeans and it was um, the Masters when they were in Brazil. So it was the Masters and Seniors International uh, World Championships in Brazil, the Copa do Mundo in Sao Paulo, and um, just because he was out there at the same time. Uh, and they used to have massive medals. That was the other thing. He used to, he's like, oh, I'm going to go, I want to win a medal at the Copa do Mundo because the medals are like this. Flavor flow. And they were, they had huge medals. So he was like, I've got to have one of them. Uh, and, uh, and the Europeans. So that was his sort of three kind of competitions that he would do in a year. Um, and it was always... It, you knew when it was competition time with Nick because when he was preparing for Nick for a competition, it was a different Nick to the Nick we knew or in the other times as well. He was very focused, um, yeah, and irritable uh, to say the least. <laughs> and he, Nick used to compete at Feather, right? Seventy featherweight, kilos. yeah, yeah, featherweight. Because um, I, I think by the time I was sort of regularly was at Mill Hill, um, he was probably like. 80 kilos, 75. Yeah, so he kilos. wasn't competing at Feather when you when you were training regularly. Then. No. So when we went to, I don't know, maybe if it was one of the last years when we went to Brazil that he'd cut to Feather. Uh, I don't know if he, he did it again after that. Um, but that was a tough cut for him that year. And he was running around. He's a, it was a big guy for 70 kilos, right? Yeah. Tall. I think because he used to box. Yeah. And he used to always say, like, I used to like box at like 65 or something ridiculous. Uh, and I think he kind of had it in his head that that was his weight. Yeah. And he always kept trying to get that weight. And his diet, like what he used to, he, like, I remember him saying like, you know, he'd wake up, uh, have like a coffee in the morning uh, and maybe a protein shake in the afternoon. And then the best part of his day <laughs> was uh, a, baked, a baked fish with lemon, uh, and some vegetables in the evening. And that was pretty much where he used to live off to try and cut that weight down. And he would get to close and it was, and it was always a push at the end. Um, but he would train so much. He would train afternoon, evening and conditioning. And it would be most days, five, five days a week, at least to six. Um, and yeah, that was, it was tough and you could see why. He would be irritable around that sort of time. Yeah, I, I kind of always wondered with Nick with his hips whether yeah. part of that was down to so much training yeah. on low calories. Yeah, not not you know having that sort of yeah. recovery because I, I asked was, him a couple of times and he said, "Oh, because I used to run a lot." Yeah, but a lot of people run a lot and they yeah. tend to have knee problems yeah. rather than kind of yeah. hips. And I wondered whether you know, obviously playing God and you yeah, know, yeah. Kind of, I mean, Nick was very stubborn. <laughs> you know, I'm, I mean, I'm sure you know all these stories better than me, but I remember him telling me once that he, there was some massive South African guy that he used to fight. Yeah, Sean. Sean? Big Sean. Big Sean. He's yeah, like 120 kilos Sean, or something. Oh, he, he teaches at Henley BJJ. Okay, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I remember Nick saying once that um, Sean choked him, <laughs> but sort of like round his jaw. Right. So hard that his tooth came out. Oh, maybe, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely possible. But his story was, I didn't tap. <laughs> I was like, he popped your the tooth hero. out of your jaw. And he was like, yeah, but he didn't tap me. Like, fucking hell, this guy's proper hard. This is, this proper is Nick. Hard that was man. Nick. Nick, told me, Nick used to tell me a story uh, when he used to train in Cambridge. and used to train with a guy called Yuri. Uh, it was a Sambo guy. Um, and 
he said he trained there for years. He trained there for at least a year, and he was getting smashed every day, just going there, getting beaten up. Then one day, he managed to leg lock Yuri, like managed to leg lock him. I don't know if he heel hooked him. I don't know what it was. He managed to submit Yuri. That was the point where Yuri's level changed. So he realized then that he had been putting the, he had dropped his level down and then he put it back up. And uh, Nick, yeah, and then, uh, so, you know, go it again, ba -da -ba -da -ba -da -ba. maybe a minute or two later, Nick taps. And so what does Nick turn? And Nick turns around to him and goes, one all. And that was it. <laughs> <laughs> and then it continued to get smashed for the next five, ten minutes. But Nick used to do that with me. I remember, and he used to do that with everyone. He used to do that with everyone that used to come on the mat. He would roll with everybody, Nick. He wouldn't He wouldn't shy away from anyone. He didn't really care who you were. He would roll with you. And and he would beat everyone. Like, I, like he would always give someone a very hard roll. Um, and... But he would always match the level. So he wouldn't be like, you know, you wouldn't go as a white belt and he would just completely kill you. And just that. But he would always lower the level or match the level of the person that he's rolling with. And then when that person started to get, gain a little bit, then he would up the level. And so when we used to train and, and maybe we were blue belts at the time, but the, the one time that I managed to catch Nick, I didn't catch him again for like years after that because it was just like, okay, yeah. you've, met, you've met me, you've met me now. Now we can go up. Now you can roll at my level. Yeah. Um, and so that was, uh, so that I, in a way, that was a compliment in itself because it was like, okay, now, now we can train together at, at this level. Um, but yeah, that was, the, I think that, and that's the thing you kind of learn to do as you go along as well. Like you learn how to roll with people and not, be so anxious that you have to go all out that you yeah. can just kind of be like, okay, cool, we'll roll, see how things go. And then you can, that's again, this idea of, you know, this this classic idea of jiu-jitsu, like check your ego at the door. Yeah. Because you have to do that if you're going to be able to match someone at a level. Yeah, I mean, this was like one of the things we, we were talking about the other day, but Ibi mentioned <laughs> when he was in, because um, because his previous, uh, he was like a Thai boxing before yeah. doing jiu-jitsu. And um he was saying that uh, the striking arts are mm -hmm. very selfish. Mm. They're, they're just about you. So someone's holding pads for you and you're yeah. hitting them. They don't really get anything out of it. Yeah. Your sweat all over them yeah. and a bad elbow, whatever. Whereas jujitsu and grappling in that sense is a, it's a very sort of generous art. Like mm -hmm. I have to give myself as be present and yeah. committed and there yeah. and try to match someone's yeah. level and whatever, you know, as yeah. much as I can. I mean, I do this idea of feedback. Like we were saying yesterday when we were training, uh, we will do something and then I'll say, okay, everyone talk amongst yourselves for two minutes. Now, when do you yeah, go this to class? Was, this was weird to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, 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 I um, use this when I, when I teach. Um, Feedback is very important. It's very important in everything we do to, to be able to, to go, yes, this worked. Or, you know, you did this thing. How did you do that? Or you did this thing and my legs felt loose. Do that again. Maybe that didn't work. Or maybe we, this wasn't right. But having feedback is what helps you develop. Um, and, and you get that by being able to, to communicate in this way. And it's a similar sort of thing of being able to match levels and, and, and do it and, and, and sort of checking your ego as well. Um, so, you know, I, I joke this, my favorite part, because you go, okay, everyone talk amongst yourselves and you can just sit there. <laughs> but it's, it's good because then what happens is also it encourage, another thing that it does is it encourages people who wouldn't normally train together 
mm-hmm. will train together mm-hmm. and then they will talk to each other mm-hmm. and you you will get new bonds and new, yeah. new things. And then also, I mean, you, you'll notice this yourself, if you, how many times have you been to a class when um, the instructor sits down and they go, okay, has anyone got any questions? And it's silent. No one says anything. Um, if you encourage people to give feedback and understand how you're giving feedback, when you sit down, you go, okay, has anyone got any questions or any comments or any ideas? Someone will say something and they go, yeah, I found this. Mm. Okay, that's really interesting. Look at this, 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 and this. And then that can spur someone on and say something else. And you'll have a bit more than sitting there going, okay, everyone good? Cool. Everyone back against the wall? Let's, let's spar. So it, it's a really good thing in that sense. And that comes down from the similar thing of being able to lower a level mm. and being able to match a level and just being able to go, okay, cool. Let's look at this. And and so in terms of um, have you would you say that you 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 have started to conceptualize like an optimum way of learning jujitsu? Because one thing that I I've, I've it's, it's always been in the back of my mind, mm-hmm. kind of chewing it over. Like, is there a way to get better faster to be more efficient in your learning um, so in terms of like how many times a week mm-hmm. what sort of sessions would be those ones would there be just pure sparring ones mm-hmm. would there be other stuff should people go home after the class and write themselves some notes i um i mean personally i don't think i've conceptualized anything i think that you know these pe- there's many people smarter people that have done that before and i'm just kind of plagiarizing it but i uh, i'm just work learning off those guys and, and using that to try and see what what comes of it from my own angle um but i i do i do think that everyone learns in different ways um some people find it beneficial to go home and write down, okay, this worked or that worked. Um, I know that I make notes when I do my classes and my coaching is that I'll make notes and go, this worked, I'll keep that, or this didn't work, I'll get rid of that. So that I can then look back at it and go, okay, I'm going to do a class. I know that these drills worked really well, so I'm going to use these drills again, and I'll try them out. But it doesn't mean that they're going to work in that class. It means that these worked for that class mm. and they may not work for this class. Um, but I, I, I mean, I think, I think sparring is a good thing, but I think sparring with intention is a, is a more important thing. So, um, going, okay, I'm going to work on this. I mean, I, like I need to work on my escapes. I need to be better at escaping positions. So, I mean, I was speaking to my business partners and to my, my training partners, uh, and with Sasquatch, Adam and Dave, and we were talking about this the other day, is like, I want to spend almost the next year just escaping side control back and mount. And I, and I know if I can do that really well, a lot of things will start to come into place in other places. So I'll, I, like, rather than go into a mat, uh, an open mat, or go into something and just going, okay, let's roll, I'd rather go, okay, take my back, try and choke me. And I'll do that for an hour. I fit, I find that that would be more beneficial for me doing something like that. However, some people might find other things. But I do feel that um, everyone should try and come to a class uh, maybe once or twice a week with a coach. Someone's there who has got experience that can kind of uh, usher you in the right direction. Because um, if you just roll and you haven't got anyone there who's going to be able to... Um, not validate, but give ideas from an experience, like an experience point of view. Um, you're just going to just be rolling around, getting a dopamine hit and going home. Um, 
which that's how I feel. That's how I feel, is it? But everyone's different. But I do. I, that that's that's sort of what I've taken from my experience in jujitsu. As far as training, um, training not like with within training the amount of times to train in a week. I've always sort of said that three times a week is a good sort of steady incline. Um, you plateau and rise and plateau. But I I do feel um, that around three times a week is good. But some people can't train three times a week. So you might be able to train two. Or you might only be able to train one. And every now and again train two. But it's always how you how can you use that session to the best of the like the best of the opportunity that you have to train to develop. Um and that's where it comes down to different ideas of coaching and stuff like that. So. And what about um, supplementary training? So if you, mm. what, let's say when you were younger and you yeah. had less other sort of life commitments, yeah. especially getting ready for comp, yeah. um, w- would you and what yes. would you do sort of a supplementary stuff? So, so um, we used to do a lot, we used to do a lot of con, uh, um, conditioning with uh, Andy Marshall. So when we were training we were training uh, at the the gym in buns lane so we had the strength we'd have a strength uh, day well i remember we used to do three conditionings a week and then we were training sort of six days so it would be sort of every day was jujitsu uh, and then we would do three conditioning a week like as a as a like as a minimum you know some guys did more some guys did less um and that would be a strength day a power day and a cardio day so we'd do Basic strength, like uh, basic um, uh, compound lifts, squat, dead, bench, push, pull, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, and then we did uh, a power day, which was mainly based around Olympic lifts, like snatches, cleans, um, throwing a ball really hard, uh, picking up um, sandbags and pick, trying to throw them in the air, that sort of idea. Kettlebells, there were, there were a lot of power stuff with that. Um and then it was a cardio day, which was always horrible, but that was kind of circuits, moving around, uh, that sort of stuff. That was in the younger days um, now. I, uh, now I, I would say um, just to find a balance. I think now I would find a balance. I would try and be like, okay, and I like Jocko Willick and all those guys are like, yeah, when you get older, just push lift weights. And, and I definitely see there's a benefit in in especially with with um well with anyone really like lifting weights to be able to to it it definitely has a good positive effect on the body um i think with regards to jiu-jitsu i would i would look at doing more circuit based stuff um to try and like to get that little bit of uh keep that little bit of cardio going because the way i train it's not so intense that you're going to you're going to be getting that really hard training it, it's more uh, conceptual, more uh, cr- uh, uh, cerebral yeah. in the way. So you're going to be thinking a lot more in in, in my classes. Um, so that's the way I, I would look at it. So I look at going to the gym to supplement that. Uh, and then, you know, once a week or once once every couple of weeks, then you do some sparring sessions. If you're going to compete, okay, things will have to change. You have, you'll have, um, you'll still have those sort of core classes where you would you it would be more cerebral but you'd have to introduce doing competition classes and stuff like that and training with different people uh that's a very important thing i think when you're when you're getting ready to compete if you stay in small amount of people 
you don't get a lot of data. You don't get a lot of things. You just get, everyone does the same thing. Um, you'll find that a lot with people. Uh, I remember um, Nicky Rod was saying this recently on uh, one of the B team ones was that um, everyone, if you if you are all in an academy together and everyone is sort of developing together, you will, you never sort of really see your progress because everyone is developing together until you go to another place or you go to something else and you go, oh, actually, I am developing because I am doing things better because I'm doing things differently um, to these guys, uh, and you can you can you can get that. So I do feel that having that uh, having that sort of openness to to be able to train with other people, train with other clubs, is a good thing. Difficult because within Brazilian jiu-jitsu culture, there was always this creonche type aspect, um, and I feel that that is very out of date. I think that, people, that's changing now, right? Yeah, it is. It is because quite is. a lot of people that I speak to, like Emma, Jody, yeah. but yeah. probably even more the girls, right? Because yeah. they've got less ego yeah. problem. Yeah, and I think it was the same with the younger, with the with the lower weights. The lower weights, there wasn't a lot of us in in gyms. Everyone was quite um, quite. Uh, uh, you know, quite big built guys, and then the 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 super featherweights and the featherweights didn't really have people to train with. So we would all get together. You know, Kev Capel used to run run um, run sessions. I would run a session, uh, and we would invite people around locally or, or from afar who were under seventy to come and train. And we would have training sessions for under seventy kilos. Mm. Um, that's where you know one of the guys who teaches at my gym, Mark Stevenson, is a guy I used to compete against when I was a purple belt. Randomly ended up in the same town as me, and so now we 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 train together. But he used to train at these sessions that we used to do under seventy kilos. Um, but it was good. It was good. It was good training. It was great to be able to train with people your own your own sort of ilk. Um, whereas, you know, if you don't, if you just stay in your small little bubble, you don't really test yourself. You don't really see where you are. So. I think it's it's a it's a good thing in that sense. Yeah, I've been I, I've I've been talking to Ibby a little bit about <clears throat> initially because I don't do anything on a Friday, right? About trying to set up an over forties. Oh, on a good Friday idea! Night. Amazing, yeah. Because again, you know, it's kind of like it's it's okay if you're twenty five or yeah. whatever, saying, yeah. "Look, I just roll a bit slower." Yeah. But it's kind of like when you get a bit older, you'll yeah. realize, like, yeah. it's like saying. Oh, you're going to have a women's only class. Well, yeah. I, I'm going to turn up and I'll just roll a bit lighter. Well, it's not a women's <laughs> only class then, is it? I mean, <laughs> then it's a mixed class. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I know I know what you mean. You know, it's nice to sort of have people where you can really test out. Yeah. Like, am I where I think I am? Yeah. Have I learned yeah. something? Am yeah. I, how's my conditioning? Just open it up to everyone as well. That's the thing. Yeah. Anyone can come. I think it's a really important thing um, that... People, some you know, some places they miss that now. They they don't. They just see it as very, still very insular. Where you know we we like you say, it's still a young sport. Mm. We need we need to be open to be able to allow other people to train. Yeah. Um, yeah. Know. So and so the probably the 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 last thing that I wanted to move on to was just you're down in Weymouth now. Yes. As my as my friend Milton calls it, Waybeefer. Waybeefer. Um, <laughs> And you and you've got a club down there, which, yes. as you were saying last night, you've you've moved around a couple of places. Yeah, yeah. So, so how, we, how, what does that look like at the moment? So uh, I mean, we, we're um, you know fairly small club. So so what happened was that when I I moved to Weymouth um, uh, two and a half years ago. Uh, we I moved there with no intention of running a club. 
no intention. I, I, I just wanted to train. Um, and I knew I was moving to the South Coast and I knew that Adam and Dave had a gym in Verwood uh, near Bournemouth um, because they were affiliate, uh, affiliated club to Mill Hill. So my my when I moved down there, I was like, right, that's, that's my club. That's who I'm going to train with. And that's that. Um, how, so, how far away is that from you? Uh, it's about an hour. It's about an hour. So it's a it's a it's a fair old journey. Mm. Uh, I in the you know there was a point where it was like it's so difficult to to get to because if you're especially if you're going in the evening you're spending an hour to get there you're training for say an hour or so uh, and then you're spending an hour back so you're spending more time traveling than you are training um so it would always come down to almost like once a week if you could and then you always wanted to do other things in in that time um anyway adam uh adam and dave knew some uh, had some friends who um offered us a a, a room uh to they were like we're going to set an academy up in portland i was like okay all right well um i was kind of like you know, thinking, oh, well, yeah, we could do this, this, that, and the other. Um, but I was always going to train there. Uh, they're my, it's my team. It's my, they're my friends. I'm always going to train there. And inevitably, that would lean. I'm always, I'm going to be ending up teaching there because if you're, you know, a third, de- well, at that time, second degree black belt, I was a, as a black belt in town. Of course, I'm gonna, I'm gonna end up teaching there. You're not. It's just, it's standard. So um, we ended up opening up the club there. Uh, and it done really well. It was received really well by a lot of people. We had uh, quite quick growth early on. Um, it was going really well. Uh, unfortunately, we we lost the place. The the, the landlord um, had up the rent too much, so we we couldn't afford to play to, to stay there. Uh, we ended up moving on. Um, so we so a couple of the guys found a new place uh they put a lot of time and effort which is you know very appreciative of, of these guys putting in a lot of time and effort to actually create this whole new new gym where we train now um and so the numbers of sort of it's still a fairly small club it's still still growing um we've got some good guys there um but it's still a very young club um but it's, it's, it's excellent. It's good times to, 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 to come and train. We welcome anyone. Anyone's very welcome to come and train with us. Um, we have people that visit Weymouth that come and tra- train with us uh, whenever they come down and visit. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's when, just a nice, when, friendly when atmosphere. When have you got, when are your classes? Uh, so we have classes, um, four, four days a week, cl- five days a week classes, and then two open mats a week. Uh, so I'll teach two days and then we'll have two other black belts that teach the other two days. Um, and so then is this evenings normally? Evenings mainly. Uh, mainly because uh, we all work in the day. Yeah. So it's mainly evenings. Um, and then we have um, our sister clubs, which with us, if you join our we join our team, you can also train at the, uh, our other clubs. Uh, so we have another club. Uh, we have an affiliate club in Bridport, which is about half an hour one way and we also have uh verwood which is our sort of main hub um which is sort of about an hour away towards bournemouth that's um, sasquatch yeah right? sasquatch studios so those guys um have been around for a long time um in in dorset uh so they've got a good 
good group of people uh, with a great depth of um, knowledge and experience. So it's a really good place to go and train if you if you get the chance to to pop down and see everyone. So um, yeah, that's that's kind of what we're at. And um, have, have, is there a, a website for your club? Or uh, we're, we're still under under construction, but it's JurassicBJJ.com um, or SasquatchStudios.com, uh, which is our, our our main site. And you your rubber. Uh, yeah, so uh, we've got Jurassic BJJ at Jurassic BJJ on uh, Instagram, yeah. uh, underscore BJJ, or yeah. uh, uh, Bandito BJJ, which is me. Um, Bandito BJJ. Uh, where, and that, 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 um, where does that name come from? The rubber <laughs> Bandito? Do you, you really want to know the truth? Yeah. It's just, uh, it was just two, <laughs> two words that sounded really oh. good we put together. Uh, it was, uh, we were sitting all in the circle giving each other nicknames and my nickname was the Robert Van Dieter and we thought it would be really funny because you're not very flexible. So, uh, oh, it's, so uh, yeah. it was from non-flexibility. Non-flexibility. Oh, that would be really funny. The Robert Van Dieter. Yeah, you're not even that flexible. Oh, because the oh, story I heard last night was that you got your name because you you were really flexible. No, I'm not that flexible. <laughs> I was more Correction. flexible in my older days days but uh no not not really okay. um but yeah it was yeah that was it was a, a bit of an anticlimax of a, of a story i should have i should make something up yeah but um yeah so i'll, I'll put i'll put links for uh for the the club and yeah, the insta in the in the show notes so anyone Amazing. who's down on the south coast come and see us who wants to go and train with a third degree og <laughs> legit unflexible old man yeah that's it yeah come down and see go, pick my brain go along come see us all um, is there anything else that I should have asked you that I didn't ask you? I can't think. We didn't really touch on the UK history, but hey ho, another time. Maybe. Yeah, another time. We'll do a yeah. we'll do a follow up. Yeah, definitely. Maybe we'll get another historical figure. Yeah, hey, let's have two of us here, yeah. and we can we and, can uh, do something. I, I, I've spoken briefly to Adam and Dave about coming up, but obviously they're miles away. So I sort of said, well, look, if ever you're up this way, do you know what? You know, at some point maybe we'll be up here for a comp or something. We can we can all pop in and do one together. Yeah, that'd be great. That will be very interesting. Yeah, because I, because I see, I always see their... Uh, Anyone who knows Adam Keeley, yeah. you know that would be so a, what, very a, wild good, man, good, a very good from podcast. His, from his Instagram pictures. And <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, it, it always looks, whenever I see their stuff or they're at a comp or whatever, it always looks like a frat house. <laughs> yeah like a proper yeah. old school yeah. Yeah. you know like yeah. you never know what's I, yeah, absolutely. going absolutely yeah you, crazy you don't really know you you don't really know what's coming <clears throat> anything could come out around the corner yeah. when adam's around so it's uh, yeah. it'll be good it'll be good yeah all right so we'll, but the, we'll the things to talk to adam about apart from jiu-jitsu obviously very very knowledgeable in jiu-jitsu but um just anything geeky you you're in for a good time oh adam. yeah yeah definitely all right so yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll reach out to them again and I'll see if yeah. I can we'll make We'll work something out. I'll try and get them up here and we'll try and do something all together. Yeah, awesome. I mean, you know, maybe they can come and do something at Resistance, can do yeah, like a mini yeah, seminar, yeah. you guys, yeah, together. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. that'd be amazing. Excellent. Brilliant. Thank Brilliant. you so Thanks, much James. for coming in, Chris. Awesome. Really it's been good fun. to talk to you. Yeah, great um, stuff. I appreciate your time and I uh, appreciate all you guys listening. Um, I know your time also is precious, so if you've managed to do, we're 83 minutes. If you've managed to stay with us for 83 minutes, then I thank you and I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Um, if you did enjoy it, um, go back and check out some of the other episodes. Um, as we mentioned, i got uh, Ed Ingemels was on, uh, Emma Percy was on just recently, um, Jolie Boyle's coming in soon to talk about 
training and DJing and whatever. And uh, check out the Joe Hickey one, the Shaolin, my Shaolin guy. Um, that's a that's a cool martial arts uh, episode as well. Um, so yeah, thanks for listening. Follow us uh, on Instagram at White Basement Pod, and we'll catch you next time. A competitive sport uh-huh. And my glasses still on It's the incredible dog uh-huh. <laughs> They wanna try me Like the federal court But I'm unashamed Of the gospel I never retort That statement Of the rappers are